After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz in Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Israhil Aziz stated, The accounts from the life of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, are being mentioned with reference to the Battle of Badr. I will present some more details in relation to this. With regards to the kind treatment of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, towards the prisoners once the Battle of Badr had concluded, it is written in At-Tabqat ibn Sa'd that when the prisoners of Badr arrived, the paternal uncle of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Hazrat Abbas, was also among them. As such, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, did not sleep the entire night. Upon this, one of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, what has kept you awake? Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied, the sound of agony from Abbas. Following this, someone went and loosened the shackles of Hazrat Abbas. He was tied up and he loosened the chain somewhat. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, that what has happened, for I can no longer hear the sound of Abbas in agony. And so an individual replied that I slightly loosened his shackles. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that then you should do the same to all prisoners. It should not be the case that you merely loosen the shackles of one individual due to him being my relative. In relation to the prisoners of the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmad Sahib has presented the details in Seerat Khatam al Nabiyin, i.e., the life and character of the Seal of Prophets, that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, remained in the valley of Badr for three days. This time was spent to shroud and bury the martyrs and nurse the wounded. Similarly, it was during these days that the spoils were collected and sorted. The prisoners of the disbelievers, which equated to 70, was secured and given into the custody of various Muslims. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, strictly directed the Muslims to treat the prisoners gently and kindly and to ensure that their comforts were looked after. The companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, who possessed a passionate love of fulfilling their master's every desire, acted upon this instruction so wonderfully that the like of it cannot be found in the history of the world. Hence, from among these prisoners, one prisoner named Abu Aziz bin Umar relates that due to the exhortation of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, the Ansar would give me baked bread, but they themselves would subsist on dates, etc. And many a time, it would so happen that even if they managed to procure a small piece of bread, they would give it to me and would not eat it themselves. And if I would ever return it to them in embarrassment, they would insist that I have it. 
Those prisoners who did not have sufficient clothing were given clothing. As such, Abdullah bin Ubay gave Abbas his shirt. Sir William Muir admits to the kind treatment of these prisoners in the following words. He writes, In pursuance of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him's commands, the citizens of Medina and such of the refugees as already had houses of their own receive the prisoners and treat them with much consideration. Blessings be on the men of Medina, said one of these prisoners in later days that they made us ride while they themselves walked. They gave us wheaten bread to eat when there was little of it, contenting themselves with dates. Sir William Muir further writes, It is not surprising that when, sometime afterwards, their friends came to ransom them, several of the prisoners who had been thus received declared themselves adherents of Islam. He further writes, Their kindly treatment was thus prolonged and left a favourable impression on the minds even of those who did not at once go over to Islam. Then in relation to the significance and the impact of the Battle of Badr, it is mentioned and when Abdullah bin Rawaha and Zaid bin Hasa brought the glad tidings of victory in the Battle of Badr to Medina, hearing the glad tidings of victory coming from their mouth, the enemy of Allah, Gab bin Ashraf, started accusing them of lies. He said that if Muhammad, peace be upon him, has killed these prominent leaders, then it would be better to live inside the earth rather than on it. That is to say, that it would be better to die than to remain alive. While stating the outcome of the Battle of Badr, Alama Shibli Nomani writes in his book that the Battle of Badr had a diverse impact on the religious and social circumstances of the land. This was in fact the first step of the advancement of Islam. For all the prominent leaders of the Quraysh, who were like iron walls in the way of Islam, had perished. And following the death of Utbah and Abu Jahl, Abu Sufyan was handed the leadership of the Quraysh and this commenced the Umayyad dynasty. However, the real strength and might of the Quraysh had already diminished. In Medina, Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul was still openly declaring himself to be a disbeliever, but now seemed to have come towards the fold of Islam. Following the victory of Badr, he accepted Islam superficially, although he remained a hypocrite for his entire life and died in this very state. The rest of the Arab tribes who were witnessing these events, although were not won over, but nonetheless receded. Many tribes, although they did not convert to Islam, but they certainly backed down after witnessing the victory of Badr. They stopped scheming against the Muslims or became afraid. In addition to this change in situation, further new developments emerged amongst the opposition. A pact had already been made with the Jews that they would stand with them, i.e. the Muslims, in all circumstances. However, this victory kindled a fire of jealousy within them and they were unable to suppress it. Previously, the Quraysh only lamented over Hazrami, but following the Battle of Badr, every household was a mourning place, and every child in Makkah was desperate to avenge the death of those who were killed in the Battle of Badr. Hence, the incident of Suwaiq and the Battle of Ahud were a result of the zeal of theirs. When mentioning the outcome of the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has written the following. But until now, many people from the tribes of Aus and Khazraj still stood firm upon polytheism. 
A victory of Badr resulted in a movement among these people, and upon witnessing this magnificent and extraordinary victory, many people from among them became convinced of the truth of Islam. Thereafter, the element of idol worship began to diminish very rapidly in Medina. However, there were also some in whose hearts this victory of Islam had sparked a fire of rancor and jealousy. Finding it unwise to oppose openly, apparently they accepted Islam, but from the inside they sought to uproot it and join the party of the hypocrites. He further writes, and the most prominent among the latter class of people was Abdullah bin Ubay bin Sulul, who was a very renowned chieftain of the Khazraj tribe. Due to the arrival of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him to Medina, he had already suffered the shock of having his leadership taken from him. And after Badr, this individual became a Muslim at the outset, but his heart was satiated with malice and enmity towards Islam. He became the leader of hypocrisy and secretly began to hatch a series of conspiracies against Islam and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. <coughs> Hazrat Mizza Bashir Ahmed Sahib further states that the Battle of Badr had a deep and lasting effect on both the disbelievers and the Muslims. It is for this reason that this battle possesses a distinct significance in the history of Islam to such an extent that the Holy Qur'an has named this battle Yawmul Furqan, in other words, the day upon which a manifest distinction was made between Islam and disbelief. There is no doubt that other wars also took place between the Quraysh and the Muslims afterwards and some of them were immensely fierce. At times, the Muslims were confronted with delicate situations, but in the Battle of Badr, the spine of the Quraysh had been broken, which no surgical operation could permanently repair thereafter. As far as the number of casualties was concerned, this was no great defeat. For the death of 70 or 72 warriors for a people like the Quraysh can in no way be deemed a national devastation. In the Battle of Ahud, this was the number of Muslim casualties. However, this loss did not even prove to be a temporary hindrance in the victorious pathway of the Muslims, even though the Muslims at the time were very weak. And so why then was the Battle of Badr dubbed Yomul Furqan? In response to this question, the best answer is in the following words of the Holy Quran. And they are as follows. That is, verily, on that day, the root of the disbelievers was cut off. In other words, the blow of the Battle of Badr hit the root of the disbelievers and it was shattered to pieces. If this very blow had struck the branches instead of the root, irrespective of how great a loss it would have inflicted, this loss would have been nothing compared to the one actually incurred. However, this blow to the root turned this lush green tree to a pile of coal in a matter of moments. And only those branches survived which attached themselves to the other tree before drying away. Therefore, in the field of Badr, the loss of the Quraysh was not measured by the number of men who died, rather by the people who died. When we cast a glance upon the casualties of the Quraysh from this perspective, there remains no room for even the slightest doubt or uncertainty that in the Battle of Badr, the root of the Quraysh was truly cut off. Utba, Sheba, Umayyah bin Khalf, Abu Jahl, Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayt, and Nadr bin Haris, etc. were the moving spirit of the Quraysh. This spirit flew off from the Quraysh in the valley of Badr forever, and they were left like a lifeless body. It is for this reason that the Battle of Badr had been given the name of Yomul Furqan. In reference to this, Hazrat Muslim Ma'ud states, This is the very battle that Allah the Almighty has named Furqan in the Holy Quran. And it was during this battle that such Arab chieftains were eliminated 
who left their homes claiming that they would destroy Islam once and for all. In fact, they were eliminated in a manner that today their names have been forgotten. And if their names are recalled at all, then affiliation to their name is not a means of pride, but rather a means of disgrace. Ultimately, Allah the Almighty granted the Muslims a grand victory through this battle. Hazrat Muslim Aud further states, There is no doubt that even after this battle, the Muslims were subjected to cruelty and forced to fight against the disbelievers on various occasions. However, the Battle of Badr unquestionably utterly crushed the strength of the disbelievers and demonstrated before them the might of the Muslims. The Battle of Badr, referred to as Furqan in the Holy Quran, has also been prophesied in the Bible. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 21, verse 13 to 17, it is recorded a prophecy against Arabia. You caravans of Dedanites who camp in the thickets of Arabia, bring water for the thirsty. You who live in Tema, bring food for the fugitives. They flee from the sword, from the drawn sword, from the bent bow and from the heat of battle. This is what the Lord says to me, within one year, as a servant bound by contract would count it, all the splendour of Kedar will come to an end. The survivors of the archers, the warriors of Kedar will be few. The Lord, the God of Israel has spoken. Hazrat Muslim Aud further states, in these words of Prophet Isaiah, it was prophesied that exactly one year after the period of migration, a war would take place in Arabia that would reduce the splendour of Kedar to dust. Those who accuse the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, of fleeing will flee themselves in the presence of their own armies. Their state will be that, that the corpse of their commanders and generals will be left on the battlefield and ultimately the valley of Makkah will lose its generals, thereby forfeiting the strength it once had. Similarly, the Holy Qur'an foretold of an eleventh night and prophesied that precisely one year following the migration, the disbelievers' strength would be broken whilst victory and triumph would dawn upon the Muslims. Thus, after exactly one year, the Battle of Badr took place during which many ranking leaders were killed and the Muslims attained a resounding victory over them. Hazrat Muslim Aud continues, Observe, until the first Ramadan after coming to Medina, it had been ten years since this prophecy was made. The month of Ramadan would begin the eleventh year, and after this year elapsed, at the beginning of the eleventh year, on 17 Ramadan, the Battle of Badr took place, during which prominent disbelievers were killed, bringing an end to their vicious attacks. The eleventh night that had overcome the Muslims had now passed and through the favour and help of Allah the Almighty, the Muslims witnessed the dawn of victory and triumph. Regarding the excellence of the companions who took part in the Battle of Badr, it is recorded that Hazrat Jibrail came to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and said that amongst the Muslims, what rank do you give to those who took part in the Battle of Badr? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied that they are the best of Muslims, or a similar statement. Hazrat Jibrail said that similarly those angels who took part in the Battle of Badr also hold a high rank. The incident that I am about to narrate has already been mentioned in reference to Hazrat Ali anhu. However, I shall mention it again due to its significance in this context. Ubaidullah bin Abi Rafi narrates that he heard Hazrat Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu say that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sent Zubair, Miqdad bin Aswad and I and instructed us to go to Rozai Khakh. There we would find a woman riding a camel with a letter 
and we ought to confiscate it from her. And so we departed as our horses galloped swiftly. When we reached Rozaikhach, we found a woman riding a camel there. And so we asked her to surrender the letter. And upon this she said that I do not have any letter. We replied that you must surrender the letter to us, otherwise we will remove your clothes and search you. And so she took the letter out of her hair and gave it to us. We brought the letter back to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And when the letter was opened, it read, From Hatib bin Abi Balta to the people of Makkah. In this letter, he was informing them about a plan of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And so the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, summoned Hatib and asked, O Hatib, what is this? Hatib replied, that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, please do not be quick to pass judgment on me. I am a man who settled amongst the Quraysh. I am not a native to them. Your other migrant companions have relatives in Makkah through whom they have secured their homes and wealth. Because I do not have any relatives among them, so by doing this I wish to win their favour so they would be considerate towards me. I have not committed this act out of disbelief or apostasy, for I could never prefer disbelief after having accepted Islam. He said that he could never be drawn to disbelief after accepting Islam with a true heart. And so, upon hearing this, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that indeed he has said the truth to you. Hazrat Umar remarked that, O Messenger of Allah, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, Permit me to smite this hypocrite's neck. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied that he participated in the battle of Badr. And you do not know, but Allah has witnessed the companions of Badr and has said that do as you please, for I have covered your sins. In other words, they would no longer commit any major sins and they would meet with good fate. This meant that these people would not die in a state of disbelief. Thus, it is evident from the words of Hazrat Hatib, as I have already stated, that disbelief can never be preferred after accepting Islam. Hazrat Abu Huraira relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said, that perhaps Allah the Almighty has looked upon the companions of Badr with mercy and said that do as you please for I have forgiven you. In other words, apart from disbelief, Allah the Almighty will forgive their common and minor mistakes. Through these words, Allah the Almighty also assured that they would never devolve into disbelief and that their fate would be auspicious. This is also what is meant by these words. Even if some mistakes or sins are committed, they would be as a result of human weakness, which would be forgiven by Allah the Almighty. Ummul Mu'mineen, i.e. the mother of the believers, Hazrat Hafsa radiallahu ta'ala anha relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that I am hopeful that those who participated in Badr and Hudaybiyah will never, God willing, enter the hellfire. Upon this I submitted, O Messenger of Allah, peace be upon him, has Allah not stated That is, and there is not one of you but will come to it. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Have you not heard the following words of Allah the Almighty? That is, then we shall save the righteous and we shall leave the wrongdoers therein on their knees. Even during the Khilafat of Hazrat Umar when monetary allowances for the companions were being instated, the allowances for the companions of Badr were especially distinguished. The companions of Badr themselves would take pride in their participation in the battle. Sir William Muir writes, the companions of Badr were considered the most outstanding members of society. 
when Saad bin Abi Waqqas was approaching his demise at the age of 80, he said that bring me the robe I wore during the Battle of Badr, the one I had been saving for this day. This was the very Saad who was in his prime during the time of Badr and who later conquered Persia, established Kufa and became the governor of Iraq. However, in his view, all other accolades did not compare to the honour and pride of having participated in the Battle of Badr. He considered the mantle he adorned on the day of Badr more respectable than all other mantles. His last wish was that he is buried in his grave while wrapped in that very robe. One can gauge the significance and excellence of the companions of Badr from the fact that one of the signs of the advent of the Mahdi in this Ummah set out by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was that he would also have a book in which he has names of 313 companions in accordance with the number of companions of Badr. Thus, the promised Messiah states, It has been mentioned in an authentic hadith that the promised Mahdi would have a published book in which the names of 313 of his companions would be written. As such, it is necessary to mention that this prophecy has been fulfilled today. It is apparent that before now, there was not a single person in this Ummah who claimed to be the Mahdi at whose time there were printing presses or who had a single book in which he could have written the names of 313 people. The Promised Messiah further states, Of course, if this work was within the scope of human effort, then there could have been many people before this who could have falsely made claims about themselves. However, the reality is, that the prophecies of God contain such extraordinary requirements that a liar cannot take advantage of them and they are not afforded the means which are granted to the truthful. The Promised Messiah further states, in his book Jawahirul Asrar, which was published in 840 Hijri, Sheikh Ali Hamza bin Ali Malik Tusi writes the following about the promised Mahdi, the translation of which is, The Mahdi will hail from a village called Qada. This, in fact, is the Arabic version of Qadian. He then further says that God will prove the truthfulness of that Mahdi and will gather his friends from far and wide who will be equal in number to the people of Badr. In other words, they will number 313 and their names, character and qualities will be written in a published book. It is clear that before now, no one has claimed to be the promised Mahdi and also had a published book in which would contain the names of his friends. However, I have previously written 313 names in Aina Kamalat Islam and now to further confirm this, I shall write those 313 names here once again. The Promised Messiah wrote this in the appendix of the book Anjami Atam. The Promised Messiah then further states, Every fair-minded individual should know that this is yet another prophecy that was fulfilled in my favour. In accordance with what has been stated in the narration, it is necessary to state from the outset that all of these companions possess qualities of truthfulness and piety and as far as their ranks, which Allah the Almighty knows best, some excelled others in love and devotion to Allah and being occupied in service to faith. Observe, these 313 sincere people who are mentioned in this book are a fulfilment of this very prophecy which is found in the traditions, i.e. the hadith of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. The prophecy also contains the words Qada, which is clearly pointing towards Qadiyan. The entire purport of this hadith is that the promised Mahdi will be born in Qadiyan, who will have a published book in which the names of 313 of his friends will be written in it. And everyone knows that it was not possible for me to write the name of my town Qadian in books that were written a thousand years ago, nor did I create a printing machine on account of which it could be said that I invented the printing press in this era for this very purpose. The Promised Messiah ﷺ further states, I did not invent the printing press. 
it was also beyond my scope to bring about 313 companions. In fact, it was God Almighty who procured the means in order to fulfill the prophecy made by His Messenger, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him. While stating the similarities between the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and Prophet Moses salam, in relation to the Battle of Badr, the Promised Messiah salam, states, Just like the Israelites, God's rightly guided people suffered great difficulties for 13 years in Mecca at the hands of the disbelievers. These difficulties were far greater than those inflicted by the Pharaoh upon the Israelites. Eventually, these rightly guided people fled Mecca along with he who was the most righteous among them and in his leadership, just like the Israelites did. Then the people of Mecca chased after them in order to kill them, just like Pharaoh who chased after the Israelites in order to kill them. Ultimately, it was as a result of this pursuit that they met their ruin at Badr, just as Pharaoh and his army met their ruin in the river Nile. And it was to uncover this connection that upon seeing the body of Abu Jahl among those who were killed at Badr, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that this person is the Pharaoh of this nation. Just as Pharaoh in his army perished in the river Nile was a matter which was witnessed and experienced and was thus something which no one could object to. So too was the pursuit made by Abu Jahl and his army resulting in defeat in the Battle of Badr, a matter which was witnessed and experienced and the denial of which would be foolish and lunacy. The Promised Messiah further states, the people bearing resemblance to the Israelites, in other words, those people of God who were freed by our leader and master from the cruelties of the Meccans sang hymns after the Battle of Badr just as the Israelites did on the shores of the river Nile. And those Arabic hymns that were sung in the plains of Badr are still preserved today in books. Then, at another instance, the Promised Messiah states, The example given in the Torah and Deuteronomy is of that very Prophet who was accompanied with divine help and along with his community bore hardships and every type of difficulty for 13 years and then eventually fled along with his community, but they were followed. Ultimately, within a few hours in the Battle of Badr, Abu Jahl and his people were smitten by swift swords, just as Pharaoh and his army perished by the swiftness of the river Nile. Thus, observe the clarity and how from the standpoint of witness and experience, both the incidents of Egypt and Mecca bear such stark resemblance. It is stated in the Holy Quran that is, and Allah already helped you at Badr when you were weak. In his book, Khutbah al-Hamiya, whilst mentioning a subtle resemblance between Badr, i.e. the full moon, and the 14th century, the Promised Messiah states, The Urdu translation is as follows. The number 400 is after the migration of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, who is the seal of the Prophets, so that the victory of Islam which has been promised in the Holy Quran already may be fulfilled. In other words, the following words of God, that is, and Allah has already helped you at Badr when you are weak. In relation to this, the Promised Messiah states, ponder over this verse like those who possess sight, because certainly this verse points towards two badrs. First was the badr which came for the help of the first ones and the second badr which was a sign for those to come after. There is no doubt that this verse contains a subtle indication towards that time in the future which was to be like the night of badr and would manifest 400 years after a period of 1000 years. This is the metaphor used by God Almighty when he mentions the night of badr. Further to this, we also accept 
that this verse has other meanings as well which pertain to previous times as scholars will be well aware because this verse of the Quran has two perspectives. There are two times of help and two badars. One badar pertains to previous times whereas the other badar pertains to the times yet to come when the Muslims would be in an extremely lowly state as you can witness in today's current times. The Promised Messiah states, Islam started like the crescent moon and it was decreed that ultimately in the latter days it would turn into a full moon by the command of Allah. Hence, the wisdom of God Almighty dictated that in this century Islam should become like the Badr, a full moon, which would also be similar to Badr in terms of its numbers. It is these very meanings that God Almighty indicates in the words, that is, and Allah already helped you at Badr when you were weak. Hence, ponder over this matter with careful consideration and do not be like the ignorant. Indeed, the words, Lakad nasarakum, have been used as yansurukum in light of its other aspects, just as it is apparent to those who possess understanding. Therefore, for the sake of Islam, God Almighty decreed that after having to face a state of weakness twice, Islam should also be honoured twice, in contrast to the Jewish people for whom it was decreed as punishment that after two honours there are two humiliations, just as you read in the accounts of those transgressors in the chapter Bani Israel. At the time when the Muslims had to endure humiliation in Makkah, God made a promise to them in the following words. The permission to fight is given to those against whom war is made because they have been wronged and Allah indeed has power to help them. And by saying to help them, God indicated that the disbelievers would suffer punishment at the hands of the believers. And so, this promise of God was fulfilled on the day of Badr when the disbelievers were killed by the swords of Muslims raining down upon them. The Promised Messiah then states, the situation in the 14th century is similar to the one that occurred on the occasion of Badr, about which Allah says, that is, and Allah already helped you at Badr when you were weak. This verse actually implied a prophecy when in the 14th century Islam becomes frail and weak, God, according to his promise, shall come to its help. The Promised Messiah further states, Observe how the companions were granted help at Badr, and it is stated that this help was given to them at a time when they were less in number. Disbelief was eradicated during that Badr. Alongside with the manifestation of extraordinary signs at Badr, there was also a prophecy regarding the future. This is in fact that Badr is also the name of the full moon, and this is an indication towards the manifestation of Allah the Almighty's help in the 14th century. The 14th century is the very century about which even women would say that the 14th century would bring with it good and blessings. God's words proved true and in the 14th century, in accordance with the will of Allah the Almighty, the Baruz, i.e. the subordinate of Ahmad manifested in my person. The Promised Messiah states regarding himself that he is the Baruz of Ahmad, which was prophesied in the incident of Badr and to whom the Holy Prophet peace be upon him conveyed his greetings of peace. However, it is a pity that when the moon of the 14th century manifested, he was labelled to have selfish motives. Woe unto those who saw but did not see in reality, who lived in the times but did not recognise it, those who wept at their pulpits and said that this would happen in the 14th century have died. Now remain those who stand at their pulpits and say that the one who has come is a liar. What is the matter with them? Why do they not see and why do they not think? At that time, Allah the Almighty rendered help at Badr and He helped those who were weak at a time when there were only 313 men in the battlefield and had a total of two or three wooden swords. Among the 313 were mostly the youth. What weaker state can there be? On the other hand, there was a huge force which comprised of those who were battle-tested and experienced young men. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, had no apparent means on his side. And at that time, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prayed. That is, O Allah, if you destroy this party today, then none will remain to worship you. Listen, I say with complete certainty that the situation today is the same as that at Badr, 
Allah the Almighty is preparing a party in the same way and the same words of Badr and the words of being in a state of weakness apply. The number 14 has a very deep connection in this respect. The moon of the 14th century is complete and it is to this very point that Allah the Exalted alludes to in the following that is, and Allah already helped you at Badr when you were weak. At that time also, the community of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was small, and yet they overcome the enemy. And now there is the Badr of our present age as well. Then with regards to the revelation, that do not forget the event of the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Qazi Abdul Rahim Sahib ta'ala has written in his diary, of 17th February 1904 that last night the promised Messiah والسلام, related a dream in which he heard someone say do not forget the event of the Battle of Badr. May Allah the Almighty instill within us an understanding of the significance of the Battle of Badr and may we understand the reason for the advent of the true servant of the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. May Allah the Almighty enable the Muslim Ummah to understand the significance of the event of Badr and enable them to recognize the promised Messiah who has appeared in subservience to the Holy Prophet peace and blessings of Allah be upon him and through this they will become worthy of regaining their lost grandeur and glory. I now wish to speak in relation to Jalsa Salana God willing, the UK annual convention shall commence next Friday. This year, a large number of guests will be coming to attend after a gap of approximately three to four years. In fact, the guests have already started to arrive. Pray that may Allah the Almighty grant ease and comfort for all those who are travelling and may they arrive here safely and may they derive true blessings from the purpose of the Jalsa Salana. Likewise, may all the Ahmadis who reside in the UK participate in the Jalsa with the true fervour and spirit and with the sole objective in mind that they shall strive to attain the spiritual rewards during the days of Jalsa. Similarly, all the workers who have been appointed to various duties during the Jalsa should strive to serve all the participants of the Jalsa as they are the guests of the Promised Messiah This time it is estimated that there will be an increase in the number of participants and due to this it is possible that there remain some organisational shortcomings MashaAllah, I am hopeful that the UK Jamaat has become so experienced in its organisation that it will have already resolved the majority of the issues and there will only remain minor shortcomings, if at all. Furthermore, if any problems do arise, they shall be able to resolve them in the best way possible. May Allah the Almighty make it so that no such issues arise which cause any inconvenience to the guests. Islam places great emphasis on honouring and respecting guests. Hence, those guests who are coming upon the call of the promised Messiah purely for religious purposes, every single one of those on duty and the hosts should especially serve and honour them. And this service of theirs should be carried out purely out of the sentiments of sacrifice and while seeking the pleasure of Allah the Almighty. What are the teachings of Islam with regards to hospitality of guests? And what did the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, expect in terms of hospitality of guests? On one occasion, the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that whosoever believes in Allah and the last day, he should honour their guests. Thus, during the days of Jalsa, people from all different nations come and have varying temperaments. At times, difficulties arise in managing people of different temperaments. Owing to their different natures, the guests sometimes say something 
or act in a way which makes it difficult for the person who is on duty or is tasked with looking after that guest. However, the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has ordered us to honour our guests at all times because this is another way in which one's faith is tested. Thus those on duty should display high morals at all times and always have a smile on their faces. Those who are serving have volunteered themselves to serve the guests Therefore, they should attain this level which Allah the Almighty and His Messenger, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, desires of them. What level of displaying high morals does Islam teach us to attain? In relation to this, the Holy Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that to smile to your brother is an act of charity, commanding good and forbidding evil is charity and giving directions to a person lost or to a blind person is also charity for you. He further stated that removing a rock, a thorn or a bone from the road is charity for you, in other words to remove any rubbish and your pouring what remains from your bucket into the bucket of your brother is also charity for you. Thus, these are the standards that every Ahmadi must attain. As I am drawing the attention of the workers towards this, I therefore say to them in particular that to always remain smiling is a very commendable trait. Sometimes those on duty have little time to sleep and they become tired. But despite this, we are commanded to always smile and serve wholeheartedly. Furthermore, the Tarbiyat department in particular and all those on duty in general ought to be mindful that if they see someone behaving in a way that is against the sanctity of our pious atmosphere and teachings, then they should advise them in a gentle and loving manner. Following on from this, there is mention in the hadith about showing others the way and there are teams assigned to show people the way. Similarly, boards with signs are erected at various places which contain instructions and signs. But despite this, if someone asks for directions, then they should be guided accordingly. It is not necessary that only those who are assigned this duty should inform others. In fact, if a person knows the directions then good morals dictates that they should show them the way and if they do not know, then they ought to guide them to the relevant department who would know. And everyone knows that helping those with physical or visual impairment is a fundamental responsibility and everyone is reminded of this. Therefore, there is no need to elaborate on this further. In addition, if a guest or anyone else throws bags or disposable glasses or any other rubbish etc. on the walkway or elsewhere, and although the hygiene department are assigned to clean it up, if a worker sees any rubbish, then they should pick it up and throw it away in the nearest dustbin. The administration should ensure that there are bins stationed at various points, and at the same time, given these circumstances, the administration should also ensure that nobody throws anything inappropriate in there. Similarly, those who are responsible for food should also look after the guests. And if there are any shortcomings in the quantity of the food, then politely explain to the guests that owing to the shortage, if they can share out the food, then everyone will be able to get a share. Usually, there are very slim chances of this occurring. However, if such a situation does arise, then the teams dealing with serving food should deal with it with love and wisdom. Likewise, there is the department to manage the traffic. 
and occasionally issues can arise there as well, especially when the weather is bad. And in this instance also I would like to say to the guests to cooperate with those working in the traffic department. Those working in this department should also show the best of morals. In the same way, there are many other departments in Jalsa Salana. Every one of them ought to act on the guidance of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to always remain smiling. May Allah the Almighty enable all the duty workers to serve in the best manner and may the Jalsa be blessed in every way. And every Ahmadi should pray especially for the success of the Jalsa. May Allah the Almighty enable us to do so. Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah Nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'khiruhu wa numinu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi wa na'udhu billahi min shuroori anfusina wa min sayyati a'malina من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد الله إله إلا الله ونشهد أن محمدا الدور رسوله إباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعظكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم وَدُوهُ يَسْتَجِبْ لَكُمْ وَلَذِكْرُ اللَّهِ أَكْبَرُ